Okay, a couple thought questions. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> How can you believe Jesus is the only way to God? Assuming you believe Jesus is the only way to God, my question for you is, how can you believe that he is the only way to God? How can you claim that salvation is by faith alone? How can you believe God created the universe? Should we answer everyone who has a question about God and the Bible? Why? Why not? Let's turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 33. And keep in mind in the context of Mark chapter 11 that the triumphal entry took place at the beginning of Mark 11. Jesus cleared the temple in verses 15 through 17. And then we have the fig tree that has withered. And in verses 27 through 33, we find that Jesus is being questioned about his authority. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they ask. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared people for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. In Mark 11, 27 through chapter 13 and verse 37, we find that Jesus is going to the temple and then he is teaching in the temple. Verse 27, he goes to the temple and 28 through chapter 12 and verse 44, he is teaching in the temple. And he says quite a bit as far as what is involved in the temple. And then he leaves the temple in chapter 13, 1 through 26, and talks about some things that are coming in the future. And keep in mind that the 12 continue to be with Jesus during this time. And Jesus, as we have stated, and I emphasize this over and over again, that he is unique. He is the Son of God. He baptized with the Holy Spirit, or will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive to God's Spirit. And he's able to resist Satan. And in light of his character or being, he proclaims the good news of God. He taught with authority and all of this in Mark's gospel. He quieted and cast out an evil spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed various diseases and drove out demons. He prayed. He talked to his father. He preached in the synagogue 
and drove out more demons. He healed a man with leprosy. And we could go on and on describing what is contained in the Gospel of Mark to amplify that Jesus is unique, he is the Son of God, and so on. And it's with those thoughts in mind we find in verse 27, they arrived in Jerusalem. This would be after casting out the money changers, the day after casting out the money changers from the temple. It would be two days after the triumphal entry as you read the flow of the context. They arrive in Jerusalem, and then verse 27 says, while Jesus was walking in the temple courts. Showed this a couple weeks ago, but keep in mind that the temple of this day was Herod's temple. It was a massive structure. The total structure in the courts would have covered many acres. We're dealing with a massive structure. It was not complete, totally complete at this time. And just another idea of what is taking place. And the text says, while Jesus is walking in the temple courts. He probably was standing on Solomon's porch on the east side of the court of the Gentiles amidst a forest of huge Corinthian columns rising some 40 feet in the air, a richly ornamented roof forming a porch that extended several hundred feet to the north and to the south. Beyond the porch would be the breathtaking Kidron Valley, which dropped to a depth of 450 feet. And it would have afforded a view that would have been awesome. And it is in this setting that the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders come to him with a question. Now keep in mind that the three groups that are mentioned here, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, would have comprised the Sanhedrin. And here we find a representation, or people representing the Sanhedrin are coming to Jesus with some questions. And the Sanhedrin was a buffer zone, or buffer organization between Rome and the Jewish nation, composed of 71 members, who held nearly complete freedom in religious matters and some restricted power in political matters. It's the only case in which a Sanhedrin approaches Jesus other than in his trial in chapter 14. Both the approach of the Sanhedrin and the questions of those involved in the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, attest that the issue of Jesus' authority is at stake. The religious people are questioning Jesus. They're questioned. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority to do this? The idea behind authority is who gave you the jurisdiction? Who gave you the right? Who gave you the prerogative to be doing these things? By what authority, what prerogative is Jesus acting? 
that these things that they're referring to probably involves clearing the temple, verses 15 through 17, the triumphal entry in verses 1 through 11, and the healing of Bartimaeus in chapter 10, 46 through 52. Jesus, by whose authority are you casting out, or I mean healing, Bartimaeus, by whose authority are you having this triumphal entry, and by whose authority did you cast out the money changers? But then they pose a second question, and who gave you authority to do this? This seems to narrow the focus down. And the text would refer to Jesus. Who gave you the authority to overturn the money changers' tables and the benches of those who sold doves and not allow allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple? Who gave you this authority? Who gave you the authority to say, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you made it a den of robbers? Where'd you get this right to do this? See, this isn't the first time that Jesus and his authority is being questioned. In chapter 2 of Mark's gospel, when Jesus saw their faith. This is when the man, the paralytic, was let down. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Again, the authority of Jesus is being questioned. Jesus is forgiving sins. Who can forgive sins? Only God claiming to be God. In verse 13, once again, Jesus of chapter 2, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Whose authority does he have to teach? In chapter 2 and verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Who gave Jesus the authority to hang around with Levi and tax collectors and have a meal with them. And again, Pharisees and so on are upset at him. In verse 28 of chapter 2, in the context of the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, the issue at stake here is Jesus is the Son of God or he's a blasphemer. So back to chapter 11, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, and who gave you authority to do this? Who gave you authority to cast out the money changers, overturn the tables, and so on? The issue is the authority of Jesus. Jesus responds in verse 29, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. Let's go back to chapter 1 of Mark. Chapter 1 and verse 9. Chapter 1 and verse 9 of Mark's gospel. Jesus displays wisdom in responding to these people. Chapter 1 and verse 9 says that this 
or at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee and was baptized by John in the Gordon. Gordon. Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove and a voice from heaven, You're my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Mark's gospel begins with Jesus being baptized by John, followed by a voice from heaven, obviously the Lord, you're my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. John's baptism of Jesus is very, very significant and very, very important. So Jesus poses a question to the chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders. This baptism of John. Now, where's it come from? Is it from heaven? Or no? The question seems to be quite simple. But it's not quite simple because it puts the chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders in a difficult position. Because Jesus has already been proclaimed by John in his baptism, beginning his public ministry by John's baptism, proclaimed as the Son of God. So they're discussing it among themselves. And the idea of discussing is never used real positively in the Gospel of Mark. They're reasoning, they're calculating, they're pondering. How should we respond to Jesus' question? So as they discuss it among themselves, they say, if we say from heaven, he will say then, why didn't you believe him? If John's baptism was from heaven then Jesus is God's son. And if he is God's son, then we as chief priests and elders and teachers of the law should listen to him. But if we say it wasn't from heaven, if we say it's from men, we're going to get in trouble with the people because the people know we're believing in Christ. So they're in a dilemma. We can't say it's from heaven because we haven't been following Christ. We've been trying to corner him. If we say from men, we can't do that because the people get upset at us and we fear people. So what do you do? We don't know. That's a Cop out. What does Jesus say? Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He does not answer their question. According to Mark, John's function, that is John the Baptist, his function was first and last 
to introduce Jesus. That's why John the Baptist came, to introduce Christ. Going along with that announcement by John the Baptist, the theme of chapters 11 through 13 of Mark show that institutional religion, temple worship, that was led by those in the Sanhedrin, is empty unless it is centered in the stronger one, Christ, who was declared to be the Son of God at John's baptism. This is my Son, whom I love. See, John begins, I'm sorry, Mark begins his gospel with saying Christ is the Son of God. With John saying, or I'm sorry, Mark saying, John the Baptist says that Jesus is the Son of God. The gospel Mark concludes with the centurion saying, surely this man was the Son of God. No question about Christ. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders were not willing to respond. And Jesus says, I'm not going to respond either. The power, the right, the authority of Jesus was from God. No question. But not willing to be acknowledged by the chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders. So I would pose a question. What is the point of Mark chapter 11, 27 through 33? I think the point of this passage is that Jesus is the Son of God who has authority from God. Thus, he can cast out money changers from the temple. And as the Son of God, he has the authority to go to the very heart of the religious leaders. See, the point of John, or Mark chapter 11, 27 through 33, is to amplify what has been stated over and over in Mark, that Jesus is the Son of God. But the religious leaders are not willing to admit that. They're not willing to own up to that. So Jesus responds accordingly. So let's think about some applications. As we live in the world, it may be wise to learn from Jesus as he deals with people. Use a counter question to learn where people are in their thinking and to challenge them to commit themselves to Christ. Jesus did not always answer questions. So let me give you an example. Suppose you're talking to a Muslim and they pose the question, how can you believe Jesus is the only way to God? How about a counter question, where does Muhammad claim to speak for God as God's son? So you're not answering their question, you're asking offering a counter-question, which was very common in the day of Jesus. Rabbis would be asked questions, and they would counter-question. Jesus is asked a question, and he offers a question to find out where they are in their desire to follow him and respond. 
Suppose you're talking to a Catholic. And they ask, how can you claim salvation is by faith alone? How about a counter question? How could Mary be a virgin her entire life? When the Bible says Jesus had brothers. Again, a counter question. Dealing with religious people. Another example, question asked, or a counter question would be, why do you confess your sins to a priest when forgiveness is in Christ? See, Jesus is being questioned, and what does he do? He offers a counter question. Living in our culture today, we may be asking, or we may be asked questions about responding with a counter question. Another response directed to Catholics. How or why do you continue to do when Christ said it is finished? When Christ was on the cross, he said it's finished. Why do you keep telling people to continue to do and do and do? Suppose we're talking to an evolutionist, someone who believes in evolution, and they ask you, How can you believe God created the universe? How can you believe God created the universe? How about a counter question? What witness was present to confirm evolution? Do you have any witnesses that were present that confirm evolution? Will you say you didn't answer their question? Jesus didn't answer the question of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and the chief priests. He offered a counter question, and they chose not to answer, and he said, I'm choosing not to answer you then. So I think it's wise sometimes to use counter questions. My next question is not a reflection on the King James Version. But there are people who believe that the King James Bible is the only Bible that can be used. I think the King James Bible is a good translation. It's a very good translation. I'm not knocking in any way. What I am knocking or asking is, I have been asked already, how can you use a Bible other than the King James translation when the King James Bible is the Bible? My counter question, or one that you can use is, did Paul use the King James Version? Now, if you know anything about history, you know he did not because the King James Bible didn't come into existence until 1611. Another question might be, were there various versions translated between the original manuscript in the King James Version. Again, you're just posing a question. Again, the, all these questions are directed at religious people, whether it be Muslim, Catholics, evolutionist, or King James only Bible. Just offering a counter question. 
That may be the way of wisdom sometimes in our lives. A second application. When someone is not ready to commit themselves to Christ, perhaps we should be slow to answer many questions. Jesus let people hang with unanswered questions if they were not truly seeking him. We don't have to answer and explain and defend everyone who asks a question. In fact, sometimes when we answer questions, if there's not a genuine seeker, we end up in an argument. Maybe we just need to offer a counter question and leave it at that. Well, I don't want to answer your question. They may say to us, well, then I'm not going to answer yours. Perhaps we don't have to defend everything. Just offer a counter question and see how they respond. Jesus does not reveal himself to those who do not want to follow him. The chief priests, the teachers of law, the elders were not interested in following Jesus. They wanted to corner him. So maybe we should ask some people, what bone do you have to pick with God that you're running from him? You asked me about how to get to heaven, and I gave you a response, and you're antagonistic. What bone do you have to pick with God that you're running from him? Why are you so angry at God? Maybe they'll respond, maybe they won't. See, sometimes when people ask questions, they're angry. They're frustrated at God. Such as, if God is God and God is a God of love, why did he let my son die? See, that's an issue with God. Who would want to listen to a God who causes a son to die? So you can get to the heart. See, Jesus is getting to the heart of the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders with a question. Well, we don't want to answer you, Jesus, because if they already reasoned, if we say your John's baptism is from God and we're not following him, we're being hypocrites. If we say it was from men, then we're going to get in trouble also. So they said we don't want to answer. And that comes out very clearly as you go on in chapter 12. Another question in relation to uh, you know, responding to someone that may be slow to follow Christ. Do you know the God of the Bible or do you accept what you have been told? See, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders would have been teaching people certain things about Jesus. And people today are told certain things about God. An example. When you, as a child, disobey, God puts a black check on your record in heaven. And when you get enough black checks from God in heaven, 
God zaps you. Please understand, I don't believe that. But some people do. How many of us sitting here at times have said, what have I done that God is angry at me that this has happened in life? Isn't that the black check? Unbelievers have a distorted view of God many times. You say, I've got to help them straighten out. Well, maybe we need to ask. Do you know the God of the Bible or do you accept what you've been told? You know, what God are you angry at? What God are you struggling with? See, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the elders were struggling with a God who would say, you're wrong. <laughs> and I'm telling you wrong through Christ. You know, we can't have this guy come and lives as other people do. This Jesus. Many times. People have a distorted view of God. As did the chief priests. Teachers of the law. And the elders. With some questions and love. And not getting defensive. We can help them. Reason. And maybe understand God. If they're open, if they're not open, then maybe we need to go on our merry way and not answer anymore as Jesus did. Often pause and meditate upon the being, character, and identity of Jesus. He is unique. He is the Son of God. We tend to become like what we think. Think about God. In this context, think about Christ. His being, His character, what is revealed in the Gospel of Mark. And let that transform you and your day by day living. A final application. All religious leaders tend to live in fear of people they lead, they teach. They fear people will learn the truth. Thus they must keep them in bondage with fear by emphasizing doing. Now notice I said religious leaders I'm not talking about Christ followers. I don't put them in the category religious leaders. Christ followers and religious leaders are different. But religious leaders live in fear. What religion does not operate on fear? <coughs> leaders of religions don't want people to examine Christ. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the elders, feared people. Because the people held John up as a prophet. So we can't go against what people think. We can't say the baptism of John was from heaven. 
So you keep people in fear. Jehovah's Witnesses, it's never done. In the old vestibule, I stood here talking to two ladies one day. Jehovah's Witnesses, Ruth Ann sent them down from the parsonage. And they wanted to get on future events. I said, I just got a couple of questions for you. I said, I want to talk about Jesus. And I said very kindly and gently, is Jesus the only way to a relationship with God? Have you come to the point that you have trusted in Christ, in Christ alone, for a relationship with God? They wouldn't answer me. I asked a second time and they wouldn't answer me. I kindly said, I'm just asking you a simple question. And I asked them the same thing a third time. And they said, yes, but. I said, but what? Well, we have to do this and this and this and this. So in other words, you're never done doing. No. See, the leaders of Jehovah's Witnesses keep people in fear. And you can find that to be true in other religions of the world. As we think about Christ and who he is, may our desire be, Lord, make me a captive.